Welcome to the Reflect On podcast, where we embark on inspiring conversations filled with truth, vulnerability, and, well, anything else that'll help us learn, grow, and live better lives. I'm your host, Kevin P. Murphy. Thank you so much for embarking on this reflection journey with me today. Now let's get right into it. Christopher Warren is the Executive Director for Sustainability Leadership, a former policymaker in ministerial government and a director of multiple boards ranging from sports to governmental travel regulations and more. He's a worldwide traveler himself. He's a coach, a former head scout of Scouts Canada for 15 plus years, and he's a fantastic critical thinker. But the thing about Chris is that he wouldn't really identify himself as any one of those things. He really is a believer in making sure that we are not just attached to our work or what we do on the nine to five. And that comes up in our conversation. In our discussion, we reflect on how craving discomfort can create deeper fulfillment. We also chat about what the exploration of nature and the diversity we all share can bring us when we look at it, which leads us to the concept of cultural acuity. Chris also shares his thoughts on what sustainability truly means prior to us discussing the benefits and challenges we have in a society of vast information. We also converse on the theories of informational distortion alongside AI talks and how we can use these technological tools to our benefit in order to move forward as one. Chris also gives experimental thoughts to challenging one's biases in order to invoke greater empathy, deeper learning, and less judgment. There's kind of a little bit of everything in this episode, but it is one of my favorites. It's such a fantastic conversation. As always, thank you for spending time with us today and enjoy this conversation with Christopher Warren. Okay, so Chris Warren, thank you for being here so much. Really appreciate it. One of the things when I thought about prospecting and looking at you as an interviewee, per se, was your critical thinking ability, to be honest. Known you for a couple of years now. It's been pretty inspiring, even though it's been, dare I say, infrequent. We've seen each other, but it's been so special, the time you've been here. I mean, that's from the bottom of my heart. One of the things I thought about first was all of the boards that you were telling me about that you're on and the community involvement. You know, there's, I think there's, correct me if I'm wrong, there's executive director, sustainability leadership. You got the rugby boards that you're on. Most recently was the travel advisory board group of Ontario, I believe. You got soccer clubs. What inspired you to take on such an adventure on all those different boards beyond just saying community involvement? What was the biggest inspiration you think you've gotten out of those in the last years? That's a great question, Kevin. First of all, thank you for having me. And the warm introduction and the feeling is very much mutual and reciprocated. Mm-hmm. I very much enjoyed our time together uh, as well and getting to know you. And, and you've been inspiring uh, to me in your own ways as well, as a professional, as a person. So thank, thank you for our time together. I think there's a few things that would come to mind to answer the question. So, so first and foremost, for me, it's about relationships, building trustful ones, not transactional ones with people. Um, and with institutions, because we interact with institutions on a daily basis, mm-hmm. and they can sometimes seem faceless in some ways, but behind those organizations are people fundamentally trying to do, do right, particularly in nonprofits or community organizations. So I think that's first and foremost a priority for me, which is getting to know the people behind them. I think secondly, my own professional experience is a lot, uh, has a lot to do with stakeholder relations and strategic planning. These are relevant skill sets to those sectors, to those boards. So I'm bringing some add value to those boards and those conversations. So that's the second point is where can I be most impactful? 
And the third, I would say, is synergies. So you note that I've, I've been involved with soccer boards and rugby boards and travel industry boards and so on and so forth. But I now am at a point in my life and my professional journey of trying to find synergies between them, whether it's on connecting people, uh, whether it's on connecting potential partners for projects, whether they be capital or operating of nature. I'm really trying to find those synergies. And so I think those are my three things that have sort of kept me going, I suppose, and sustained yeah. the energy and enthusiasm for wanting to be a part of so many boards. But my first was, was the rugby club here at Oakville. And I can tell you the very quick version of how I ended up on that board. Of course. For yeah. me, this is a club that's meant so much to me from when I was a youth playing, playing rugby there at, at Crew. Um, and knowing that the land that they were on, the land that we had been playing on for so many years, was owned by one level of government, subleased to another, and then subleased to the, to, the, to the club, there was a bit of an arrangement there that had to be renewed. And there was an opportunity in that, that point of the history of the club to look and think about what, what that future state could look like. And there was an opportunity some, some, for some sort of bold vision and bold leadership. And I think that just excited me on the surface of it. Being able to give back to a club that had meant so much to me, had given so much to me as a youth, was inspiring enough. And from there, it's all, it's all been sort of downhill, as, it, as they say. I've sort of gone from one to five boards. Yeah, that's incredible. And you mentioned earlier in that response, the transition, the transition to going from the one to five, so to speak, of the boards. Obviously, you mentioned some things that maybe inspired that transition already, but I want to get granular with the the ability you had to perhaps change what you were doing. And if we rewind back, I want you to maybe focus on sort of your work, even if it's in the, in the government of some level, not the specifics of it, of course, but the time when you were transitioning and where you came up with the courage and the, the motivation to leave something that a lot of people would feel that is comfortable and has lots of room of advancement to this project, these projects that you're doing now. Yeah, it's a great question. So I'll say this. Prior to 2020, I had no involvement in boards whatsoever. Yeah. And now it's a very active and pronounced part of who I am as a person and as a, and as a professional, right? right? So you're right. What sort of was the catalyst for that? Exactly. So my professional experience in a nutshell was, as you say, with, with government. So working across a few different ministries related to energy, infrastructure, and post-secondary education. So some, some broad policy files there. But I was fortunate enough to have roles that saw me in rooms with decision makers, whether they be cabinet ministers or senior members of the civil service or indeed senior stakeholders, C-suite all the way right through. And so being thrust into those positions of, of tremendous trust at a young age, I think had a really formative impact on who I am and in, and in some ways contributed, I think, to my, to my level of interest in that bigger, bold, visionary type projects that I mentioned, for example, with the rugby club that attracted me to want to join that board. So I think it's a new and defined pillar of who I am, and it's a logical extension in some ways of the career path I've had, which has, has, has been varied in the sense of being exposed to different stakeholders and having to have a certain natural curiosity. Going in to a room and, and having the humility to say, I'm not the smartest person in this room, I'm going to listen, I'm going to understand, and I'm going to draw alignment between stakeholders, I'm going to build coalitions of the willing, where there might be some disagreement. And I think those are all really critical and speak to the critical thinking, actually, that you mentioned at the start of the conversation. I think those are all critical skill sets for successful board members, being naturally curious, being open-minded, listening, and finding ways to draw alignment with others. It's a, it's a fundamental human characteristic. Yeah, and you say naturally curious. I love that. 
I also think of it in a sense of the will to be uncomfortable. You know, it's easy, it's easy in this world, especially with the product of just the materialism, the monetization that our, our society has become. And I'm not, I don't mean that in a judgmental way, but more just how we've evolved, especially since the turn of the century, that a lot of what we're doing is even characteristic of a generation or two past where we're still just working a lot of us for a paycheck. The way, the way I see you, that natural curiosity, that ability to be uncomfortable is more just a pursuance of that, your curiosity, but also the willingness to say materialism, money, human impact is maybe more important in the, in the long scheme of things. Is that, is that fair to say where your motivations have been? I think it's very fair to say, particularly my, my current role as executive director of a small environmental nonprofit, right? So yeah. from my perspective, you know, what attracted me to the role was mission, vision, and values alignment. Mm-hmm. So how can I put myself in a leadership position of an organization like that and advance it in some meaningful way? But I think you're hitting on a really important point here as well about the broader decline in volunteerism across our societies. And a lot of nonprofits, a lot of community-based organizations have struggled with this point. There's no single answer to it. But for me, I draw fulfillment from many things in my life, not just the boards I serve on, not just my work and, and my professional experience, certainly from my family, from my friends, but also my ability to coach soccer or to coach rugby as well, right? Being able to draw Finding fulfillment. Finding joy in those little things, those day, the present moment. Exactly. Know, someone making the perfect play in front of you, right? And being able to say, we created this together as a team. Exactly. Sorry, and no, no, you're quite right. And, and precisely that, seeing that smile brought to a young person's face, mm-hmm. seeing them build their confidence and their skills and their memories with friends in real time, it's a really powerful and palatable thing. And that, that keeps me going. So I think you're quite right here. There's something to this. And, you know, oftentimes at you know, dinner parties, you might have the common question of, oh, and, and what do you do? And the common response is a work-based question. Or a right answer, right? Which is, well, I work at a bank, I work at an insurance company, etc. And that's one part of our identity as human beings. But there are so many other aspects, and I think, I think that's something that could be explored further with many people. What yeah. your passions are, what your interests are, where you might find fulfillment in other things that can complement your life and not just be seen as a chore in giving your time. It's so well said, I think, because you think of time and how we spend it, and I want to circle back to a couple of things you mentioned, but if the typical nine to nine to five, Monday to Friday worker, it is a big part of their identity in terms of time, but we have the choice in choosing what we identify with as well, whether it is what we use outside of that work time or what we use, we do inside of that craft or what we're doing. And I want to focus on, you mentioned something and I'm going to go back a few steps, but first on youth, because mm-hmm. I know the work that you've done with Scouts Canada and what you've been doing there as well. Correct me if I'm wrong about 15 years that you did that with camping yeah, trips and things like yeah. that training. What was the most inspiring thing you learned from someone much younger than you? That's a great question. Um, so first of all, you're, you're right in terms of the time spent of my involvement. And, and I'll just say very quickly, it's a wonderful youth organization that does absolutely amazing things for the youth in this country and around the world indeed, because scouting is a, is a global movement for, for good. Yeah. And I think the outdoors is a perfect classroom for young people actually to, to build character, to develop new skills. And in many respects, it's a socioeconomic equalizer. Mother Nature doesn't really care whether you have $10 in the bank or $10 million in the bank, right? Mm-hmm. Either you can light a fire or you can't. 
Uh, you can pitch a tent or you can't. And I think wow. the memories that are forged are, are powerful and, and, and lifelong. So I just want a, a quick plug then for Scouts Canada yeah. and, and all their good work. Yeah, something that I was I was taught by youth. I, I think there's a dose of humility in this quick anecdote. Um, I recall guiding an outdoor trip. It was a canoeing trip with some, some young scouts, the boys and girls, who would have been, I think, between the ages of, of 11 and 14 at the time. And there were obviously other adult volunteers and the, the group of us out okay. in uh, Tomogamy, so northern Ontario. And yeah. we were just there, actually, you and I recently, yeah. uh, exploring that beautiful part of the country. And I remember, so of course, for context for your, your listeners here, this is out of cell service range, right? So we're in the back country here in northern Ontario. Huge population, by the way, of about 800 people. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the buzzing metropolis that yeah. is Tomogamy, exactly, yeah. that's right. But, but just, just wonderful, wonderful uh, geography and, and, and landscapes and environment to explore. But, but we were there on this canoe trip, and I think it was about three or four days into a, a five or six day trip. Out of cell service range, but I had some downloaded music on my phone. And one of these young scouts came up to me and asked me, Scouter Chris, could, could we use your phone? We'd like to play some music. And, and I said, I said, sure, but I don't know if you're going to like anything that is on it, truthfully. And I admit that I prejudge, right? Thinking this is a, you know, a, a tween or teen who's going to want to listen to Drake and so on and so forth. And I'm a bit of a classic rock fan too, by the way, right? A little bit of Toto or Fleetwood Mac or Brian Adams. That's my jam there. But to my pleasant surprise at this rocky output in the middle of the evening, cool breeze, campfire going, you know, sun going down. This group of young scouts, boys and girls, were singing word for word in karaoke, you know, Toto's Africa, you know, that song, right? Or others, right? Those classics, right? Yeah. And so I think just to round out the circle here, what it taught me was, yeah, a dose of humility, right? So don't, don't prejudge, even someone younger, right? You know, Absolutely. but but also just, yeah, as you say, care for those little moments in the daily in daily life. For them, they had been through a full day's paddle, they had worked very hard, they'd set up camp, and they just wanted to hang out with their friends and just enjoy being in that moment, right? And music was a way of connecting them to each other and to a common memory. So it's very powerful. That's a fantastic story. It reminds me of something we even talked about earlier, but and a conversation some of the best conversations we've had, Chris, which is in nature, around a campfire, forgetting about the busyness of a lot of the, a lot of our day-to-day lives. I want to mold in next what you just talked about with also your traveling endeavors, because I know you've, you've been a pretty big world traveler, even you even recently just mentioning about Spain and everything. In your opinion, how important is it to you that we actually spend not just the one week a year or one, two weeks a year on a vacation that we may get in an urbanized world? How important is it to you and why mm. that we actually get out and not just be in nature and outside, but also be uncomfortable, like we were talking about, with cultures outside of our own? It's a great question. So so first of all, obviously, I've been very, very fortunate and privileged to be able to travel as much as I have and, and to explore the world. I would say my two-word answer is cultural acuity. And it's something that's incredibly exactly. important in this, in this day, um, more so perhaps than ever, right, in a very interconnected, globalized world trade, commerce, and, and, and social connections, and so on. Uh, you know, the, the wonderful things about the internet, right? And its ability to connect us with people, family, and friends across the world. So in some ways, we've never had more technology that have kept us more connected. But in other respects, we've also become a bit more isolated, and we've become a bit more distanced, right? And so I think having real-world tangible experience and memories on the ground in different places, in different cultures, builds that acuity, Right. Understanding uh, everything from from handshakes to other common greetings to a few phrases in native tongue. Right. That can really help 
connect you with someone halfway around the world if you actually give a good effort to, to speak their language. And I think as well, thinking back to, to trade and commerce in particular, whether or not you're a business graduate, if you're someone who aspires to be an entrepreneur or to be a disruptor or an innovator in some way, learning from other people around the world who might be looking at problems or challenges in a slightly different way than you and just being able to learn from best practices, I, I think is incredibly powerful. And so that's what I would say, cultural acuity. That's the value I place on, on travel. And so I've always prioritized it in my life at every stage, you know. Uh, and again, I've been fortunate to travel quite a bit. Very recently, of course, as you noted, in, in, in Spain, I tied it into uh, watching some football games and a bit of rugby as well, which was brilliant. But yeah, for, for, for me, being able to taste local cuisines and speak local languages and to explore local histories and there's obviously merit and there's a time for the all-inclusive resort and, you know, relaxing on a beach, but there's also a time and a place for looking at local museums and art galleries and, and, and other surface historic places, right? And, and uh, learning from each other. So I think that's, for me, the main, the main driver is trying to always broaden my cultural acuity as a lifelong learner. And what is that cultural acuity from a foreign environment? And I mean foreign from a geographical stage of, let's yep. say, leaving even Canada, how has that been brought into your everyday life in terms of how you remain uncomfortable and continue to be curious? How much of a catalyst have those skills been from that travel in those countries? I think it's a big, great question. There's a couple answers I would have. So, so firstly, on the very kind of, you know, micro then macro level, right? So yeah. micro, very practical transit systems. You know, growing up in the GTA, I know the GO train system. I know the TTC. But when you travel to Europe or Asia or other parts of the world, you have to re-familiarize yourself with a, a with a, a, in some ways familiar, but in many ways different system of mass transit. So I think just little daily practical things, right? So always being aware of what's around you and how to navigate different sort of transit systems I think is really helpful at a practical level. At a more macro level, so professionally, I used to work uh, in the Ministry of Energy in Ontario. Uh, so being able to confer with colleagues in other countries around the world and other continents indeed as well, understanding what their priorities were, how they were tackling the same sorts of challenges that we were. So, for example, decarbonization, right? How do we look right. at a more, uh, yeah, a sort of a less reliance on fossil fuels, right? How do we look at other forms of technology? How do we de-risk new technology adoption as well when it comes to new forms of energy generation, for example? So being able to learn from colleagues has helped me as a professional. And then I think as a, as a, as a person, when I think about my board roles or, or indeed my... Um, even coaching, right? Coaching my uh, my rep soccer team right now yeah. at Oakville Soccer Club, a little quick plug in for them. Mm -hmm. You know, diversity is our strength. It really is, right? We've got young players and young people coming from all different parts of this country and all different parts of the world. And so being able to have the patience and understanding, at least at one level, of their experience and how it shapes them as a person, right? Because Again, talking to those points before we were raising about, about we function in multiple identities simultaneously, I'm not just an executive director of organization. I'm not just a Canadian citizen. I'm a volunteer, right? I'm a coach. I'm You're a, Chris. I'm Chris. Exactly. Chris we, we function these multiple identities. Yeah. yeah. And so I think for me, yeah, there, there's, there's multiple ways in which it sort of deeply ingrained itself in who I am now in my daily life. But it's, it's about that understanding, I think. And it's about that as you said before, quite rightly, getting outside your comfort zone. And I'd encourage everyone at any opportunity to, to travel, young students to take a student exchange, et cetera. Yeah, I love what you said there. Actually, what stuck out to me is diversity is our strength, something that you can sort of mirror and maybe we'll focus in a moment on. But I wanted to, you mentioned back to the boards, your, it's a, 
sustainability leadership, correct? Yep. Um, that's that's the one that I think you've you're the executive director for, right? That's correct, exactly. Yep. So okay. it's a it's my full time sort of professional role right now. So I'm also an ex officio member of the board then, because right. executive director is sort of like a CEO of the nonprofit sector, effectively. Right. Yeah. Right. So so how is that molded in with your experience in energy and just sustainability in general? I mean, that's a word that's tossed around a lot, but I know your thoughts. I'm going to guess that your thoughts are a little more granular than the, than the traditional sense of the word. So yeah. when you hear that sustainability and, and not just from an energy perspective, but mm. from everything we've already been talking about, the cultural aspects, the ability to understand that di- diversity is how we are maybe stronger together, the ability to be uncomfortable and learn new things. What do you think of when you think of the word sustainability? Yeah, it's a great question. So, so first of all, I'll just say that what we do at Sustainability Leadership is, is function in some ways like a chamber of commerce. So we have members, large institutions like Arsenal Metal, DeFasco, Hamilton Health Sciences, uh, Electric Utilities and others. And we help them with a lot of guided support on a four-step journey on setting targets towards reducing emissions, becoming more energy efficient, waste aversion, water management, etc. So we set those targets with them. And we give them the support to achieve those targets. We measure that progress. And then we actually recognize that as well. So that's in a nutshell who, who we are and what we do. Amazing. And I think it's a very, very important question here. So, so first of all, energy is in some ways finite, right? And we have to be responsible in how we generate it, how we distribute it, how we use it. And so part of my function when I was at the Ministry of Energy was looking at long-term forecasts on both the demand side and the supply side, right? And the answer to more demand is not necessarily always just more generation. It, it's certainly a part of that conversation, and there's incremental ways to, to add generation onto the grid. But conservation and demand management is a part of that conversation as well. So what do I mean by that? So what can we do when we look at our homes and our buildings, offices, and so on, our transportation infrastructure, etc.? How can we reimagine society in a way that optimizes the use of energy? Right? So it could be little things like changing your thermostat range right, to not maybe use as much heat in the winter or as much cooling in the summer. That's one example. Increasing the R value of insulation in, in our homes and windows and doors and so on. Right? So these are just a couple of examples of very practical sort of environmental solutions that, that do exist out there. But going to your question, what is sustainability and how we tile this together? Mm-hmm. I think it's a suite of values, really. Right. It's a it's a suite of shared values about wanting to be good stewards of this world and wanting to make sure that we have the resources we need to live prosperously, of course, as human beings in community. We are social animals, but also in a way that respects our our environmental obligations. Right. And so I think it's a values driven conversation. Um, And I'm so grateful that I think we have many public thought leaders who are on a regular basis now speaking about this as as sort of the desired future state, if I can put it that way. And so I think there are an awful lot of good people doing great work. Uh, I think my organization is among those helping to advance those conversations. But energy efficiency and, and the generation side, I think, have to go hand in hand. But yeah, that's what I would say when I think about sustainability and what it means. And, and it's it's not just energy, so, so there's other pieces. So waste aversion, for example, right? So you know, recycling programs, right? Biodegradable is looking at what we can do to not send waste into to landfills then, right? There's a lot of fantastic innovation being done right now in the circular economy. A lot of very disruptive startups, by the way, as well, in this space, right? Looking at things in that closed loop. Yeah, so I think I think the last thought I would have is is 
we have to be careful about exporting environmental costs. So, for example, you know, here, here in, in sort of, uh, you know, sort of, you know, prosperous Western sort of cities and so on, we all love our smartphones. I've got mine, you've got yours and so on. And we might replace them every now and again, right? Of course. But when we send those iPhones out to, for example, certain countries in, in Asia, those, those might be recycled by hand, which might lead to higher cancer rates. Right among certain populations there, so I think we've got to be careful about exporting environmental costs in a way that makes us feel good about having a brand new phone, for example, every two or three years. But we have to do right by that end end user in some way, or that that total impact, looking at at all of it in scope. So, yeah, it's a fascinating field. I love working in it every day, and we can certainly unpack anything in there further, particularly on the energy side, if it's of interest to your to your listeners there. But I think to me, it's a values driven conversation. And I'm just glad to be a part of that and helping to advance the conversation. Yeah, thank you for the description there. And it's really interesting that you mentioned a couple points on what I'm hearing just in, a, in sort of an undertone of all of it is this ability to have a collective value system as well and one that can move everyone forward. And without thinking in true absolution, understanding that we're not going to be able to do that as well. Not mm-hmm. everyone is going to move forward on the same path. And there is a lot of disruption out there in terms of potentially great things. But what I feel like we're seeing more and more as well is the inability to maybe adapt or the, and I don't mean that in an accusatory way, Mm. perhaps it's better said as the disruption of status quo. It seems that someone to change, it's always, it's easier with these, what we've come to, to outs. It's, It's harder to see what's really true out there in the sense of, I find what I've been noticing a lot, especially online, which is potentially a downfall, I say potentially purposely, a downfall of technology is that we look at one piece of information and we decide that that's what's true. And we decide that that's what I believe in hypothetically or Mm -hmm. And sometimes when we take that even to the exponential stage, it becomes more of an in versus out group rather than the topic, let's say sustainability as an example, that we're all trying to collectively move forward or a lot of us or whomever of the majority is. When you think about that, and and I don't want to dabble too specific on purpose, frankly, into political systems and things like that, or opinion opinion on, on, on politics or... but. When you think about that and the opportunities we could have for and the technology that's coming out, whether it's more AI and how that the threats that that might pose, the risks of something like misinformation or catalyzing even further the ability to disrupt and not collectively think and uncomfortably learn from each other in a great way. How do we solve that, in your opinion? That's the billion dollar question, isn't it? It's a great question, though. (laughs) So a couple of thoughts. So first of all, I think you're you're absolutely spot on. In some ways, we've never had access to more information or fingertips than right now. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, right here in 2023, we're among the best informed in in human history. But that's the asterisk here, right? There's a real challenge, you're right, and a real search for trust and authenticity and authority and credibility in that information. And, and I think it is, it is challenging in, 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 in several respects. So, so first of all, the platforms that are used to disseminate information, we can set 
in our settings and preferences, right, what sorts of opinions we want to hear, right? So confirmation bias. So that's one thing is that the same platforms that allow us to access all this information also shut us out from other contradictory opinions, which might then better inform us overall. So that's that's one challenge I think there is just is just the settings and the preferences and how we how we absorb information. And I think that leads to the second problem, which is actually there might be too much information out there almost for us to absorb. And there's that, that uh, maybe a crude analogy, but I'm thinking about cereal boxes in, in grocery stores. And there's that analogy, I, I think it was a study I recall reading one time, where they said, you know, if you, if you have 15 choices of cereal uh, in front of you, you'll actually likely walk out of the grocery store without buying a single box because you're simply overwhelmed. Information overload. Exactly. It's that sensory, just you're overloaded, right? So, so, so let's go to the order of solutions here. I think part of it is going to have to come from institutions, I think we have to find a way to rebalance and retrust our institutions, whether they're government or civil society, not not either the exclusion, mutual exclusion of either or, right? Um, you know, there can be some balancing there. But I think we need to really double down and, and trust that there are good people doing this work. There are experts. And I think we have to, yeah, we have to maybe in some ways renew our respect for, for experts, I think, as well in their field, subject matter experts who spent maybe years, years studying some things. That's, that's one thought. I think as well, just, just going back to stepping outside your comfort zone, you know, I mean, if you happen to fall on one particular point of the political spectrum, maybe switch your news feeds, so you actually hear the other side every now and again, whether it's on X or it's, you know, the, the newspaper of your choice or whatever the case may be, right, your podcast of choice even as well. Try and expose yourself to other ways of thinking. Try and stretch outside your own comfort zone, because when you challenge your own assumptions, one of two things will happen. Either one, you'll, you'll change your view to what will then make more sense to you. Or two, you'll actually find better ways to strengthen on a, on a rational and, and logical basis your own, your own belief system. One of two things can happen, and that's perfectly natural, right, when we're exposed to new ideas. So I think it's a really good point. But the last thing you mentioned there was, was AI. I've thought about this an awful lot as well, right? And I do think there are tremendous, yeah, there are tremendous benefits to it in terms of, for example, healthcare, right? You can imagine being able to upload all this different, you know, patient data and so on and so forth, obviously with privacy protections and so on in place, and then being able to spot patterns and, and, and perhaps better provide advice, uh, early health advice, right? Preventative medicine to, to people uh, so that we can, we can, lower costs to our healthcare system as well. On one hand, so there's an efficiency piece, but also produce better overall outcomes. That's the main drive. That's the more benevolent kind of piece there as well. So there are a lot of positives. When it comes to information distortion and misinformation, though, that, that's the real downside risk. And I don't think we've really fully heat map risk managed that, <laughs> truthfully. Mm -hmm. There's going to have to be a lot more work on the regulatory side, I think, to really put some scaffolding around AI and its future development. So with some with some goalposts, I, I think I think we can certainly integrate it, but we very we have to be very careful, particularly in the context of politics. And we're not going to veer too much into that, obviously. But you think about, uh, or what I think about here when 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 I, when I think about AI is the ability to distort candidates or 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 public leaders, thought leaders, misrepresent their views to the electorate or to the mass public or or indeed to international audiences, and. That's a really worrying thing. It's a really worrying thing. And I think the premise of our base democracies has always been a fundamental trust in, in being able to hear from candidates in some way, shape or form, whether it's through surrogates, whether it's through their, their materials, whether it's through media, etc. Being able to understand someone's views and overlay that onto our own value system, just that fundamental information flow has always been fundamental. And I think 
I, I do worry about the distortion that AI could, could cause in that space in particular. And I don't know that I have an answer. I'm sorry for your viewers, but it's something I'm watching very carefully. And you're quite right to be asking this now of, of me as a guest and hopefully other guests on your podcast as well. Well, thank you for sharing that. It kind of, I think the political realm is one where we can, at least for me, I'll speak for myself and that I can see the most distortion already out there foundationally and not necessarily because of something like AI. I'm not accusing it of that. What I mean is kind of molding in a lot of things that we've already talked about, which is the a societal seemingly foundational matter of not wanting to bring in other cultures mm. and, and collaboratively learn and understand the other side and reinforce confirmation biases and be more comfortable in a group. And it becomes, like I said, more about the me versus you or the us versus them rather than maybe spending the time on collective goals that we may all be trying to achieve or collective threats like technology that could be coming and, and, and taking some of the human aspect away from us. I I love the points you've raised there. I'm going to build on that really quickly to say, I think it was about three years ago, I was at a Canadian club of Holtz, I think it was event. And there was a speaker there by the name of Daryl Brecker. And um, he was then, I think he is actually currently still as well, the CEO of Ipsos uh, Canada, which is a polling and research firm. And he had a book uh, called Empty Planet. Um, And he's not paid me for this endorsement, by the way, (laughs) I should be clear to your your listeners. But the book comes to mind here as you were were speaking there, um, Kevin, because what he talked a lot about were sort of the trend lines and how at a macro level, our planet will eventually depopulate and will actually be, or or not not fully, but will actually be smaller in global population than we are today, right? It will still continue to grow, but by mid-century, he had predicted that it would sort of of shrink a bit. And some of the trend lines he talked about were, were increased urbanization and declining fertility rates and, and other points. And one of the questions I remember I asked Daryl at that event was about political representation, particularly for smaller communities in remote parts of, of countries like Canada, right? We're a very large Canada uh, country. And how do we, as a country, ensure that their voices are still heard in some way? Because fundamental to our democracy is representation by population. And if we take those trends for granted, you know, for, at face value, that we're going to continue to see increased urbanization, then we're going to continue to see, to see that migration, right? But then the shift of political power, then of course, or, or least representation to cities. And on one level, of course, that's reasonable because we have more people there and their voices need to be heard. But there's a there's a fundamental balancing in, in government policy decisions. You have to do what's best for for the country and for the entire province or the entire municipality, etc. I asked him the question, and he did give a very profound answer, but <laughs> in sum, he effectively said, that is the political question of our time. And we've seen this manifest wow. in recent U.S. elections, for example, right? The idea of smaller communities, maybe not feeling heard by, by certain candidates versus others, and, and feeling a certain anxiety about that shift as well, those demographic and, and so on changes. I think we've seen it in almost every major democracy across this 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 world, in fact, that sort of urban, rural priorities, uh, alignment or misalignment in certain areas. And, and I make no values judgments upon any of the conversations. I only mean to point your listeners to that being a very important conversation. How do we make sure that we still have room at the table for different, diverse perspectives and voices, particularly those we may not on instinct agree with right away? But there are still people, there are still citizens that need to be heard. And, and that is a challenge as well. Really well said. 
I want to ask you for something granular and a skill. So what do you think are two to three things or what are two to three things that you do when you feel as though you're succumbing to a bias, whether it's especially a confirmation bias, Mm -hmm. um, when you feel like you're losing your potential identity that we've talked about, when you feel like you're outside of yourself in the sense of hopefully your best self and what you you strive to be. But what I mean is in the sense of you're not necessarily fully being empathetic to the other side or the other opinion or opening yourself up for that. So a lot around confirmation bias, but bias in general, what do you do to make sure that you can step out of that? It's a great question. And I'm, I'm certainly self-reflective enough to say that I admit I've, I've been in those moments before, as I think every, every person can, can attest to. For me, I think the first thing I would remind myself as also an ingrained note to myself is there is no monopoly on a good idea. And I actually have found myself mm-hmm. saying that out loud to myself in, in, in moments. There's no monopoly on a good idea. Be aware that there are other people out there that have different perspectives and a different way of approaching this that might actually make more sense in that moment. That's one thing. There's there's a dose of humility. So maybe the, the skill set is just being self-reflective enough and humble enough to recognize that. That's maybe one piece there. The second, I think, bit of practical advice I would say is, is the value of mentors. Having trusted sounding boards in your life who you can just have a chat with, bounce off ideas, whether it's career or it's life or it's big macro philosophical challenge of the day, who knows? Just having that having that person or persons who you can who you can comfortably approach. I'm grateful for the mentors I have in my life. And I've also now come to the point of my sort of life and career of, of having a couple of mentees myself, people who've approached me now on a, on a regular basis for some advice. And I'm very free with my time. I'm very happy to, to, to give that advice and pay it forward in some way. And as you say, earlier in the conversation, to maximize impact, that's driving force too. But I think those are my two kind of practical pieces of advice is find good, trusted sounding boards and mentors and as a skill, be self-reflective and, and be humble. You know, maybe there's one more piece there as well. And, and the word I would use is integrity. And I know that's a big word and it's difficult it's to unpack. around a lot. Yeah. Exactly. It's tossed around a lot. But at its core, not losing sight of who you are and seeking justice in what you do. And that was particularly profound to me as someone who used to work in government. Political ideas and views uh, will, will shift right over time. But fundamental to public service is doing justice for people. And that to me is manifested in my voluntary work. It's manifested to me in my government service. It's manifested in a few different ways, but that fundamental principle is still there. So I think that's the third kind of perspective I, I would offer to your listeners. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. It leads me. So a couple of final questions. There's two that I try to make sure I ask towards the end. And, but before I do that, Chris, this has been absolutely amazing. This is really what it's about in the sense of your ability to critically think is, I think, something that's not just you're born with. It's not genetic. It's something you learn on. And I think it's because of all those challenges you put yourself in, because of your willingness to get uncomfortable, because of your willingness to ask what the other side is thinking and be humble throughout that process. So I really acknowledge you for that, first of all. Thank you. You're very welcome. So... This question is called Wisdom Bites. Mm -hmm. So hypothetical scenario, but I want you to think of all of the wisdom that you've, if you could see it almost on the wall or Mm -hmm. in front of you, impossible to do in reality, but hypothetically, if you could, all of it that you've you've accumulated from mentors, 
which by the way, I also see you as a mentor of mine. So thank you very much thank for you. that. Thank you. You see all the wisdom in front of you. Mentors, learnings, lessons, traumas, everything in life. Now imagine it's gone. All of it. All of it. Big reset button, but you can only live by th two to three more pieces of wisdom for the rest of your life. What will your two or three wisdom bites be? That's a great question. I think, I think the first thing is trustful relationships. I don't think you can really, we're social animals by our, our design, right? As human beings, I think we need to live in community with each other and we need to build trustful relationships and that's how we thrive and prosper. So I think that's the first thing I would say is the need for trustful relationships. I think the second bit of wisdom I would offer is more on reputational management, I think. Reputations take an awful long time to build and seconds to lose. And so always acting with the utmost and highest standards of integrity, personally and professionally, I think is the second thing I would say. So, so, so for the two interplay. And the third would have to be something we've talked about quite a bit, which is, which is be comfortable in uncomfort and be curious and push boundaries and ask why the status quo and think through first principles. Don't take anything for granted. Be curious and be a disruptor, be an innovator. Those would be my three long-winded, albeit, uh, wisdom fights. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So final question, it's called the three R's. Three, the three reflection questions, if you will. Sort of rapid succession, however you feel it answered, just what comes to mind. What is the one thing you think you've been reflecting on the most recently? That's a great question. Something I've been reflecting on the most. Um, on a practical level, it's my calendar and how busy it is. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and how I can best time manage. <laughs> a never-ending skill, by the way. <laughs> that's right. Time management. That's right. Yeah. Another, another wisdom bite there. Yeah, something I've been reflecting on quite a bit. I think... So I've just started this this role with sustainability leadership as of September, actually. So I'm fairly new to that. I was, I was previously working in government and at a large post-secondary institution as well. So I think I've been reflecting a lot in recent days on, on, okay, I'm in this leadership role. Now what? You know, what motivated me was, again, mission, vision, and values alignment and the opportunity that I could seize to take the reins of organization and drive it forward and advance it in a new direction with an injection of new energy, new enthusiasm, new ideas. That's all attractive. That's, that's sort of what you, what you say in an interview panel. But now you've got the job and you have to do it. And that's what I've been reflecting on, I think. And there's many ways in which that manifests, whether it's multi-year strategic plans and whiteboarding out some big, bold visions and goals and so on. But that's, I think, what, what's been on my mind. Okay. Second one out of the three R's. What is one thing you think you're not reflecting on enough? Another great question. Something I'm not reflecting on enough. I think... In that busy day, that busy calendar, there are only there are only so many things you can actively manage on your mind. And there are always going to be some things that will have to put on to the next day or the next day after that. Whether it be tasks or actual meetings or work or or or, or spending time with, with people that you want you care about and so on and so forth, right? So I think I don't think I reflect enough on on that prioritization. Sometimes it feels like I'm kind of on the hamster wheel. Right. And I'm just moving from one meeting to the next and one day to the next and one come to the next. And it would be nice to be able to pause and just self-reflect a little bit on prioritizing or balancing that. And I'll just have a little caveat there to say, 
COVID impacted us all, that pandemic impacted us all in many different ways. For me, the silver lining was actually exactly this, funny enough. It was, it was a reprioritization of what matters most to me in my life. My family, my friends, spending time outdoors. I actually went through, and, and your, your listeners may be interested to know, I actually went through a bit of a weight loss journey. I lost about 70 pounds, if you can believe it, 7-0. Because I, congratulations. Thank you, much appreciated. Yeah, it, it was totally transformative because I, I was working from home and just thought, you know what, I've got the time. I'm going to wake up earlier and I'm going to go for a run. And I was going for runs eight and a half kilometers a day uh, for, for, for most weeks there through the pandemic. It was lovely. So, yeah, the bottom line is I think I'd, I'm not reflecting enough on, on that because I've picked up those bad habits now post-pandemic of just, of just getting in the rat race, right? And just being busy day to day. Third one, third R. What is something that collectively as a society or as groups, larger groups, that you think we could all reflect on to move us forward? I mean, in a word, I would say sustainability. <laughs> it's obviously the, it's the sector that I work in, so I've got to put a plug in for that. No, but I mean that in, in a few different ways, right? Sustainability in, in terms of obviously the sort of environmental implications and what I mentioned before about being good stewards of the world around us, but also sustainability in terms of, of the relationships that we keep and the company that we keep, making sure that we're, making, we're having the discipline to invest time in those relationships and those friendships and those family connections and so on and so forth. Sustainability in the sense of of work life balance, being able to, uh, yeah, take time to travel, to explore, to spend time with your kids, to volunteer. Sustainability in the many ways it manifests. The idea of that that value system that sees us as prosperous, thriving human beings. That's how I would answer the question. It's incredible, Chris. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you very much for spending time with me on the Reflect On podcast today. If you found this episode enjoyable or inspiring, please share it with those who it may help and leave a positive review so that we can grow together. Until next time, reflect onward and keep moving forward.